Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, I feel being uh, very alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And, uh, and let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm... Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! New word, IT. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been, it's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! <laughs> Not of some kind. Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me no, Fatty. No, no, no. No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, Yes. Well, then stop it. Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs on there. Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> how, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook. Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! <sighs> what's, what's the problem, Catherine? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like it? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want to you get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! All right, Bob Newhart obviously told a little bit better than I did last week. <laughs> so, class, what's wrong with Bob Newhart's counseling methodology? Anything? I mean, is, it, is that what it is, as simple as just stop it? Is that enough? What's missing? How do we change biblically? Ephesians 4, we put off the old man and we... Put on the new man. So biblical change is always about replacement. It's never enough just to stop doing something. There are certain things we do need to stop, but we need to replace them. So we stop doing something and we start doing something else. So we're going to be looking at that tonight as we continue on in the series that we started last week and uh, look at uh, what are some practical ways. We looked last week and we'll review that briefly about some of the, the biblical truths around this idea of being full of care. Uh, but today is going to be a lot more practical than even last week. But the two are so important. You need, we need to understand the biblical basis, the truths that we stand on by faith. So also at the end of last week's message, I gave you all an assignment. Who remembers what, a couple assignments, who remembers what one of the assignments was? To do some reading, yes. What else? Bird watching, yes. Who watched the birds this past week? A couple of you, a couple of you passed. Some of you get detention afterwards. So I'll hold detention from 8.30 to 9 here in the auditorium. <laughs> yes, and that comes right out of the book of Matthew. Jesus said, you know, look, look at the fowls of the air. And so I spent a little bit of time this week. Uh, Chris and I like to go to Sandy Ridge and North Ridgeville. And there's just tons and tons of birds and waterfowl there. And uh, for those of you that did keep the assignment, what were a few things that you noticed? I said, try to discern, try to learn something from watching the birds as they deal with this issue of being full of care. What were some things that you picked up that we could learn just by watching and observing the birds, as Jesus told them to do? Nancy. They're not concerned. They don't appear to worry. What else? Was, is life easy for a bird? I mean, do they have concerns that they have to... Yeah, I mean, if you... In my backyard, there are hawks and there are other birds. And those hawks are chasing after those other birds. And so they have to be alert. They have to be aware. And uh, so it's not that they don't have any troubles. They do. Uh, there's pecking orders in the bird species, I guess it would be. And uh, so they have to be on alert and be aware of their surroundings. So they're always looking out. What else? I do my quiet time in the summer outside. There's a spot in my backyard I just love to go and sit at. And uh, lately, if you're up at 6.30, it's still dark. So at 6.45, maybe a little after 7, I get out in my backyard. And what is the first thing that you hear in the morning? Birds. Yeah, you hear chirping. I mean, they wake up even before the sun is up, and they're, they're at it all day long. So even though they don't have to worry, like we tend to worry or have, you know, be full of care, they're still working hard. They're still out gathering. They're getting their food. They're getting food for their baby birds, if they have any, that sort of thing. So 
Again, there's just a lot of things, uh, helpful things that we can learn just by watching them. So I, I came across this poem this week. They still have troubles. They get up early. They work. This is by Elizabeth Cheney. It's, over, it's called Overheard in an Orchard. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And boy, I hope that's not us. I mean, sometimes we need a reminder, and that's really, I guess, partly what I'm doing in this short little series here is giving us a reminder that, yes, we do have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. In fact, he says, cast all your care upon me, for I careth for you. He careth for us. So it's important that we understand that and don't allow ourselves to act like. And so part of what I'm focusing on tonight when I'm talking about practicals, so many things we know to be true, but our behavior oftentimes proves otherwise, or at least it shows otherwise. And so it's not enough just to affirm truth. We want to live this out. And so we're living it out to express our trust and our confidence in, in Almighty God. And so another thought I had last week, I shared, you know, God gives us certain emotions that uh, are there to help us. Fear is, is certainly one of those things. And oftentimes, our, our anxiety that we have brings on fear or maybe fear of something that will happen uh, causes us to be full of care. And so I used a couple of examples of hunting with my oldest son, Tyler, out in New Mexico when we were hunting for elk on a couple of different occasions and the realization that I'm no longer at the top of the food chain. And when you get all by yourself alone in a remote area, there's no cell phone service, that sort of thing, it, it can be a bit uh, overwhelming. And I was legitimately afraid a few times. Well, Tyler texted me this morning. One of the, the last time we were out hunting, it was two years ago in southern New Mexico. And he had one of his Air Force friends join him for a couple of days, join us for a couple of days. His name was um, Jake. Well, Jake since then got PCS'd to Montana. And he lives up in Montana now. And he's been elk hunting this week by himself. And uh, because he didn't have anybody to go with him. And so... Last night, he shot a bull elk all by himself, called it in, and, and then began the, uh, the, the process of processing it, skinning it, cutting it up, quartering it, bagging it, and his pack out was five miles each way by himself, and he had five bags plus the head. And so he started doing that, and it was about dusk. He realized, getting toward dusk, he realized he had forgotten his headlamp back, back at his truck five miles away which always happens, I and mean, there's always something you forget when you're out there. Well, as he was doing the, the field dressing part, he bumped a grizzly bear about 250 yards, who obviously smelled dinner and was coming for dinner. And uh, so this grizzly kept getting closer and closer, and he said at 40 yards he fired a, he had a 45 with him, he fired a warning shot off at him that didn't, uh, didn't phase him one bit, and he just kept on coming, and he got to 20 yards before he finally hit him with pepper spray, and that kind of chased the grizzly off. And, um, but he said he went up on the hillside and just was kind of chomping his mouth at him and making these really obnoxious, aggressive sounds. But again, you, can you imagine how afraid you would be? You're out there by yourself, you're off grid, no one can, knows exactly where you're at, you don't have cell phone service, and a grizzly bear wants what you're carrying on your back. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that, thank God for the fear that kicks in that you know, helps us to sometimes... Some may say it was an irrational decision to be out there all by yourself, but uh, hunters are kind of that way. They're, they're just at it. So just brought back all those memories again as Tyler shared that with, us, with me this morning. All right, Philippians 4. This is where we were primarily last week. That's where we're going to spend some time again this evening. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word again. Lord, speak to us. Teach us. Help us not only to, to know it, but to apply it. In fact, uh, we'll see in verse 9 where it says that we're to do. So, Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, Lord, be with us again. Teach us tonight. Instruct us. Help us not to be people who are full of care, but people who fully trust in you. And so, Lord, you've commanded us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So, Lord, help us to not only acknowledge our belief in that, but to live it out like we truly do believe that tonight. And again, Father, you, you give us so much in your word to help in this area. 
Lord, help us to, to be pleasing to you in everything that we say and do. And help us to change, because we all need to change. Help us to change the way you designed change to be. So again, bless this time now. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 5. And the Bible says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in what service state I am therewith to be content." I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And again, familiar verses probably to all of us, especially Philippians 4.13. Many of us have hidden that in our hearts, and you should. It will be a tremendous help to you. But even as I pointed out last week, please notice the context of where that, that great promise and truth is given is found in this idea of being full of care and being content with things that God has given us. So that's important for us to understand that. Well, let's just do a really quick summary of, of the four points we looked at last week. Choosing a biblical response to worry, and it is a choice, choosing a biblical response. First off, we looked at the idea that the Lord is near. In verse 5, it says, the Lord is at hand. And I won't re-preach everything from last week, but just the simple reality, let these truths sink deep into your heart, especially if you struggle with being full of care and full of worry. The Lord is at hand. You are never, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are never alone. He is there. He reminds us over and over and over again that he is there. Do you sense him there? Even if we don't, the truth is he is there. So the Lord is near. We need to remember this. Secondly, we need to remember that the Lord is listening Verse 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So the Lord is listening. We can go to him in confidence uh, all throughout the Bible. We can come boldly unto him. We can let our requests be made known unto him. All these sort of things. God is there. He is listening. So we need to under understand that. Again, in the midst of things that we deal with, we need to remember that the Lord is near and that the Lord is listening. Not only that, in the midst of our uh, anxiety and worry, the Lord is guiding you with his peace. And we see that in verse 7. As we go to him with our prayer and supplications, it says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And we talked about, isn't that exactly what you want when, when we're going through things like this, the peace of God? And then Paul reminds us again at the, at the end of verse 9 when he says that we're to be doers of the word, in essence. He says, and the God of peace shall be with you. Again, there's that reminder. You're not alone in this. I'm, I'm near. The Lord is at hand. And so remember, I'm near. But remember, God is guarding us. It feels like sometimes we're out there, we're all alone. But the truth is God is near and he is guarding us with his peace. He promises to give that to us. And so again, we need to affirm those truths by what we say we believe and also ultimately how we live that out. And the number four, the last thing we looked at were these truths, these three truths together bring contentment. And that's what we saw verse 11. Not that I speak, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in what service state I am therewith to be content. Even if you find yourselves at times overwhelmed with care or fear or worry or anxiety or whatever word we end up choosing there, uh, we can be content. And it is a learned behavior. And so have you learned that yet? And so, I, again, the challenge was to, to embrace that. So we can, have we can have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul had as he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. 
where he spelled out in these, in these first, these great four chapters of this book, we can have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul had in, in his Lord. And so I guess the challenge is, do you have that level of confidence in your Lord today? Especially if you struggle with in this area. And so what I'm not offering you is some sort of a mental trick. I'm not offering you a cliche, you know, say a verse and all your cares are just going to magically disappear. Uh, again, I think everyone knows better than that. What God desires, and hopefully you see this as you talk about his nearness and his, he wants us to come to him and he's listening and he's guarding with his peace and there can be contentment. God wants a relationship with us. He desires a relationship. And so we go to him and we work on building that relationship. He wants to talk to us. Uh, he wants us to depend upon, he, depend upon him. He wants us to trust him. Uh, and as we do this, God's peace comes when we're in an ever-growing and ever-maturing and ever-deepening, a more honest, more intimate relationship with him. And I hope you have that desire in your life uh, for that sort of a relationship with the Lord today. Um, if not, there's no better time to start than right now. Uh, Paul, even earlier in this, in this book, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And this was written at a, a, a mature point in Paul's life. It's like he, he wasn't a new believer, and yet he says still that I may know him. And so, again, I hope that's the desire of your heart, that you may ever grow in a deepening relationship with the Lord, because he desires that of us, and that helps us tremendously in the midst of struggles like this. So how does this happen? How does this ever-deepening relationship come about? Well, I want to look at four practical applications to this passage that we've been in uh, last week as well as this evening. And again, the, none of these are earth-shattering. They're, they're, they're very simple. Uh, but these are things, again, I just want to bring to your remembrance so that in the midst of being overwhelmed, and sometimes this does feel overwhelming when we find ourselves in this way, that these simple truths that do bring comfort and bring peace and help us to, to have an ever-developing relationship with our Lord. So here's the first one. Make your requests known unto God. Make your requests known unto God. Again, verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God wants to know what's on your heart. He wants to know what's on my heart. He wants you to need him, to go to him, to plead with him about the real problems that you're struggling with in your life, your financial problems, your health problems, your straying children, struggles at church, challenging relationships that you find yourself in, your marriage, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, possibly, about the griefs and sorrows that you're dealing with. God wants you, wants me and you to come to him with these sort of things. He wants us to confess, to own up to our sinful responses to these things. I touched on that a little bit on, on Sunday evening. I'll, I'll mention it again here momentarily. But uh, he wants us to own up to say, when we know that we've not been handling these, these matters in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, in fact, when we've allowed them to become sinful, our response to become sinful, he wants us to own up to that, to confess that to him and say, Lord, I know this is, I've not been handling this right. I've, I know I'm not dealing with this in a way that's pleasing to you. In fact, possibly there's something in my heart that I've allowed to become an idol that needs to be um, dealt with. On, on Sunday evening, in the brief time I shared before the missionary, I, I talked a little about this idea of idolatry in the life of a believer. And I said an idol is something that, uh, and there's a lot of good definitions for it. This is, kind of builds on what you already know about an idol, but an idol is something that you're willing to sin if you don't get it. Or you're willing to sin uh, in order to get it. And I say that, and it's, I know that can be a little confusing because oftentimes I don't think we necessarily draw the connection saying, okay, I didn't get what I really want, so now I'm going to go out and just sin. And um, it's, it's more subtle than that. The way this normally plays out is there's something that we really desire, and because we're not getting what we desire, we start to get upset. And all this starts to come out in our behavior. Uh, again, in the context of what I talked about on, on Sunday, we become critical. We become harsh, unkind, aloof, 
difficult to deal with, quiet, withdrawn, sinful responses to something to, to relationships that, if we're honest, we know it's not pleasing to the Lord. So oftentimes when we start to overly become full of care about something, and we, know, we, we want to trust the Lord, and we know we should trust the Lord, but our behavior shows some other response. Maybe we wanted something so bad. I want control of this thing so bad, and, and God doesn't seem to be showing up. So because I, I can't control this, I'm getting angry, and I'm getting short, and I'm getting difficult to deal with. God wants us to come to the place where we say, you know, Lord, the way I'm responding to this situation is sinful. And I, I confess that to you. And I need to ask you to forgive me. And with your help, I turn from that. I repent from this. And, by the way, if that is a response, then that is a major red flag to us to look inside of our heart and say, why am I acting this way? What's going on inside of me that's causing me to respond in a way that I know is opposite of how a believer should respond? And that oftentimes will cause us to realize that maybe there's an idol that started to take root in our heart that needs to be dealt with. And so, again, not familiar with me, I think it was one of the Wesley brothers many years ago said our, our hearts are idol factories. They're always trying to uh, put something there to go to, to find peace and comfort and when the Lord should be the only one that occupies that place. And so idols need to be destroyed. So how do you destroy an idol? I got it. Stop it. That's it, right? Just stop it. Problem solved. Is it that easy? No. An idol has to be eliminated. So there are certain things that we have. We have to stop going to it for comfort or, again, I need this control, so I just, if I don't get it, I get upset and I start acting wrong. No, we need to replace that with something else. We need to replace false worship, which is what idol worship is, with the worship of the one true and living God. And again, that's, I know, somewhat generic. That's why we're talking about some of these practical things. And so the first thing is make your request known unto God. Go to him. Share what's on your heart. Share what you're struggling with. And um, if it is something that's an idol that maybe you're desiring, here, I guess here's another way to look at it. Sometimes we desire his good gifts more than we just simply desire him. That's another form of idol worship there. We'd, we want all the stuff that God will give us when really what we should be desiring is just him, his place of proper position in my heart, in my life. And so again, coming to him, making your request known to him, includes owning up, confessing, dealing with what is a less than pleasing response to the Lord in terms of dealing with our cares. So again, total honesty, coming to the Lord may look something like this. Lord, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is going on, why I feel this way. While all these things are happening, Lord, help me to understand what you're doing here. Admit that although your words say you believe, that you trust in him, and that you're going to keep trusting in him, and that you, you believe he's in control, that your anxious thought reveals the truth, that possibly you're still trying to be in control yourself. And so ask God to help you close the gap between what you say you believe and how you think and function on a day-in and day-out basis. So God will use that honest confession to build the relationship he has with you. And as we do that, we, 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 we see a growing and deepening relationship with God that will transform these anxious thoughts that come into our mind into humble faith and trust in Almighty God. We may not understand it. Again, I, Lord, help me to understand. He may not pull back the curtain and let us see. But yet we'll say, nonetheless, Lord, I am going to trust in you, not only about my words, but my actions are going to reflect that as well. Number two, so make your request known unto God. Number two, practice expressing gratitude. Even that about which you're full of care over. So practice uh, expressing gratitude, even for that situation that you find yourself full of care about. And so you've probably noticed this in verse 6 before. There's a word that seems out of place here. Well, be careful for nothing seems out of place to most of us. Like, really? I'm not supposed to be careful about anything? 
Well, it says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So practice expressing gratitude. Again, it's somewhat of a wow moment when you come to terms with that. You say, really, Lord, you know, I'm full of care, full of anxiety about these problems that I'm dealing with. And I'm supposed to thank you for these circumstances that are causing all of this. Is that really what I'm supposed to do here? And um, my simple answer is yes. Yes. Why? Because our God is good. Amen? When is our God good? All the time. Our God is good. And he has a purpose for my life, a plan for my life, and a purpose and a plan for your life. And he can take that which seems difficult and hard and stressful and worrisome and painful, and he can redeem that situation for his glory and for our good. Do you believe that? Do your actions show that you believe that? If so, then thank him. Thank the Lord by faith. Once again, acknowledge your trust in him and actively submit yourself to his purpose for your life. And so on Sunday evening, I spoke about, again, the context of relationships and trying to reconcile relationships that could be broken or damaged or, or need, to, need to be mended. I, I shared a little bit about this idea of, of expressing and nurturing gratitude. And I say that because I really think gratitude is not necessarily a, natu- a thing that comes natural to most of us. In fact, that passage in First Timothy, it talks about how things are going to be in the last days. Again, we find that one word, and you find all these horrible situations that we're living today. We're seeing this unfold, how men will be, and there's right in the middle of that phrase that says, and men will be unthankful. And so gratitude needs to be nurtured. And so down on the, on the Lord's Supper table on Sunday night, I introduced an exercise that I'll go through. When I start to see that there's some sort of improper thinking, improper motive, uh, that is occurring inside of me that begins to play itself out in less than pleasing behavior, sinful behavior. And uh, so one of the things that I do to try and put a stop to that is to replace that way of responding with things like gratitude and service. And so that forces me to look out. If I'm focused on all my care, I'm, I'm in reality looking inward. And so I turn my gaze outward, and I start to think of things that I'm thankful for. And so for 30 days, I'll go through an exercise where each day I'll write down 100 things that I'm thankful for. That sounds overwhelming to some of you. Really, once you get going, I mean, you you can't write fast enough about the things that you're thankful for. Even in the midst of the situation that seems to be causing all of the care that you're dealing with. And so when I look around this room, now I don't know 100%, of our, but I know most of you, and I can say almost say every one of you appear on those lists that I write down. Sometimes I, I'm thinking of places that God has, has placed in my life. 4116 Columbia Road is one of those places I'm very thankful for. I've put my life in this building, so to speak, or this GPS coordinate. And not that that's anything, because that's where Columbia Road Baptist Church is, but it's still very special to me. And so things like that, I just start focusing on that. And it's amazing to me how those cares just seem to evaporate because my focus is different. I'm focusing outward and not inward. So practice expressing gratitude, even about the situation that you find yourself in. Lord, I don't understand why this is going on. You know what it's causing me to be concerned about, but Lord, by faith, I trust that you are a good God and a loving God, and you want what's best for me and for your glory. So I'm going to choose to trust you, even though I don't understand it. And Lord, even say thank you for allowing this to happen, because I know you can redeem that for your purpose. And so I love you enough and trust you enough and believe you enough to know that I can be thankful for this. You ever look back and and saw something that you just absolutely was, Jim mentioned it last week, this is the last thing I ever want to happen, and it happened. And to be able to look back and say, and say, I am so glad the Lord allowed that to happen in my life because I see how he redeemed it 
for his purpose. I remember days at the phone company uh, for 13, almost 13 years I was there, and, and 10 years I avoided like the plague anything associated with a project. I just, I didn't want to take on an additional project. I, and many of you know it and you lived it, you know, downsizing, you had more work than you could ever possibly do. The last thing I wanted to do was a project. And, but I knew, also knew that was the way you advanced by getting these extra projects. Well, my day finally came, it was unavoidable, and I had to accept this additional project. And you know, it turns out that uh, that's something that God naturally gifted me to do, and I didn't even know, I was afraid to do it. In fact, the last job that I had in the last two or three years working there was project management. And I took what the skills I learned and honed there, and I brought them into the ministry, and I approach everything I do like a little project now because of what the Lord taught me. And so I was fearful of that. I didn't ever want to, wanted that to happen, and it brought a lot of anxiety about that. But God redeemed that for his purpose, so I'm thankful for that. So practice expressing gratitude. Number three, practical application. Park your mind on what is true. Park your mind on what is true. If you've ever been through, through Pure Men, I had a little memory device to... Uh, Memorize Philippians 4.8. Anybody remember what it was that's been through that? Bill, remember that one? <laughs> this verse is very repetitive. And uh, the happy joker plays lowly Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids stands for each one of these things here. What sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think on these things. So we have to change what we're thinking about, Right? Some people say, I can't help what I think about. And I would just say, absolutely not true. Sometimes when we're full of care, our minds are just caught up in thinking about something that we just can't let go of. And we're obsessing about it. And because we obsess about it, it does turn into sin. And so anxiety or worry is full of lies. You believe that, right? You know that to be true, right? What are some of them? Well, we believe the world needs to be under our control, forgetting who really controls it. We believe that the world is out of control, and we believe that somehow that the, all the worry that we put toward it may bring it back into control for us to be able to control it. So here's the truth. This is God's world. He controls it. And our worry will not change a thing. So reject lies. Reject the lies that, that worry and anxiety want to tell us. Especially if those lies begin with the word more. If I only had more fill in the blank, more time, more money, more respect, more friends. No, that's a lie that needs to be dismissed. Another word that oftentimes accompanies those lies are different. Lies that contain the word different. I would be better off if I had a different spouse, family, job, church. Again, fill in the blank. Those lies need to be rejected. And as we reject them, we ask God to anchor our minds on what is true, and then we'll be able to tackle our problems, the real problem, I guess I would say, the right way. So we can change our thinking. Do you believe that? So here's a little experiment. I want you to think about whatever you want to think about this evening. At this very moment, I want you to think about whatever you want to think about. Just don't think about a pink elephant. Got it? Just don't think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. All right? Don't think about this pink elephant either. The next one. <laughs> don't think about that one. Just think about anything you want. Just don't think about a pink elephant. Especially don't think about a pink elephant with wings. I mean, that would be really bad. Just don't think about a pink elephant with wings. So how are you doing there? You have tonight though, right? <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop thinking about the pink elephant. <laughs> uh, you know, we're challenged to change our thinking to focus on what is true, what is honest, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is good report, what is virtue, what is of praise. You know, oftentimes we're so caught up with something that um, we just can't stop thinking about it. And so it just, we want to stop, but it just, that's all we, I need to stop thinking about this. And we just 
go over and over and over and it gets into this spinning cycle and it's just so destructive and so harmful to us. How do you stop that? Is it just by saying, I'm not going to think about that anymore? No, you replace what you're thinking about with something else. And that's where Philippians 4.8 becomes very practical. Things that are true. So let me, let me ask you, as I read these, who do these words remind you of? Remember Pastor Bill's question he always asks. Focus on that which is true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and worthy of praise. Who does that remind you of? Yes, Jesus Christ, the safe answer, right? So at the very minimum, when you find your mind spinning and you cannot seem to stop, stop thinking about that and just simply think on Jesus. Consciously say, I'm going to think on the Lord and the fact that he is true and honest and just and pure and lovely. And so hide this verse in your heart. Hide this truth and say, Lord, help me to think on these things. Again, it's a very practical response to bringing a stop to this and changing what we're thinking, replacing our thinking with something else. And so not only Jesus, I think there are many practical things that we can think about that still meet these criteria. Certainly the Lord himself does. That's his character that's described in these verses. But there are other very practical things that we can think on. So here's how this works for me. If I find myself wanting to just stay focused on something I know is going to be counterproductive and ultimately may lead me to sin, I say, I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm going to think about, again, I mentioned earlier, I approach everything with a project management mindset. And so I'm always working little projects on the side. Sometimes they're home projects, sometimes they're church projects. Uh, But I'm going to think about this vacation that we've been talking about wanting to plan and all the things that need to be done or this project at church that that I'm working on or the grocery list I need to put together uh, to shop tomorrow or later on this week. And so I just, I consciously turn my mind to something else that is productive, that needs to be accomplished. And in doing so, I'm no longer thinking about that, which is causing me to spiral out of control. Does that make sense? Again, it's something that's very simple, practical. Turn your thinking to things which are practical. Shopping lists, home projects, upcoming vacation, planning, ministry plans, etc. All right. So we have park your mind on what's true, practice expressing gratitude, make your requests known unto God, and here's the last one. Tackle your real problem the right way. Tackle your real problem the right way. Think globally, act locally. Verse 9 says, Philippians 4, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. The Apostle Paul gives us a call to action here. We are to be doers of the word of God. And in doing so, we're to practice a lifestyle of contentment. And so as such, we are to do something today. We're called to address today's problems today, not tomorrow's problems. In fact, Matthew 6.34 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points this out. He says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Well, how do we start doing this? How do we tackle the real problem in the right way? How do we, again, think globally, big picture, act locally? Well, the first thing I would say is just start by writing them down. Write down the things that are going on in your mind that you're full of care about. Write them down. Get out a sheet of paper and start making a list. And so someone recently said to me, there's 15 things that I'm really struggling with that I just can't get out of my mind. So I said, write them down. You know, write them down and show me on paper what it is, those things that you're really struggling with. You know, for one thing, it was not 15. It was much less than that. So, again, our mind tends to exaggerate. But what is, what's the value in putting something like that down on paper? Anybody, anybody see the value of doing that? Just making a list of what those things are. It's a reminder. You can see it. It shows that it's a finite list. Again, earlier, it wasn't 15 things. It turned out to be four things that are just really bothering this person that are weighing heavy upon them. And so write it down and capture them on paper. And so you'll begin to see, uh, first off, I guess I would say it's, 
it can be somewhat oddly comforting just to trap them on paper there. They're captured. They're on paper. I've put them down there. And that does give us some sort of odd degree of comfort. Maybe because it's a finite list, it's not an endless list that sometimes we're tricked in or deceived into believing. And so when, when they're spinning around in our heads, it just it seems bigger, it seems more overwhelming. So write them down, capture them on paper, and you'll see that they're not so overwhelming. And then ask the Lord simply this, Lord, what are you calling me to do today about my troubles? What are you calling me to do today about this? So I have this two boxes on this next slide. So make boxes, make circles on a sheet of paper. And so imagine the big one there is six feet square. I mean, so it's a very large box. And make the small one over there, things I'm leaving in God's hands, six feet square. The very small box, things I need to do today, six inches square. And so put down two boxes like that or two circles on your paper. And what you need to do today is what we put in the six-inch, the small box. Everything else needs to be put into the big box and then left in God's hands because you can't control those things or do anything about those worries. So you put all those problems that you can't solve into the larger box, giving them back to the Lord, casting your cares upon him, and trusting him to care for both you and your problems. And you do what you can do today, and only that. So let's take a little example of this. Let's say that you're worrying about your children. That's a natural worry. Um, I wish I could say that worry goes away once the kids have left the nest, but uh, it seems in some ways those worries just intensify because the problems are so much more real and potentially severe. But let's say you're worrying about your children. You want them to grow up into men and women who love the Lord who have a desire to serve the Lord throughout their lives. You want them to be safe. You want them to make wise decisions. But is there anything that you can do or that I can do that will absolutely, positively, 100% guarantee that your children will turn out the way you desire them to turn out? Is there anything that we can do that absolutely guarantees that? No, the answer is no. None of us can guarantee the future godliness of anyone else. Their future godliness is in God's big six-foot square there, not in our little six-inch circle or square. So actually changing a teenager, if that's what you're thinking about, if you have a teenager, actually changing them should never be on our list of what to accomplish today. Again, that's beyond the scope of our ability to do. I guess given that, what should be in our smaller box as it relates to our children What can we put in there to do today or tomorrow? Well, we can love them today, right? We can love them. Uh, We can put a note of encouragement in their lunch. Hey, I'm praying for you today. Um, I'm for you. And uh, just anything we can do to encourage them. Uh, We could share something with them that God is doing in our lives. You know, if if we truly are growing in an ever-deepening Independent, dependence-based relationship on our Lord, you know, we should be excited to tell others about what God is doing. And our kids need to hear that from us, that uh, we haven't arrived as, as, as being fully like Christ yet. So share with them what God's taught us recently. Listen to what's going on in their lives. Ask them what's going on in their lives. Welcome their friends over. Try to be an encouragement to them. So here's the key to this slide, this step here. Your step of obedience will always be smaller than the problem. The step of obedience that we should take today will always be smaller than the problem. In every area where we have real trouble in life, God is calling us to take a small step of faith and obedience and love toward him. He's not calling us to solve everything that's wrong, but just to be faithful and to trust him and to do what you can do today, today, and leave the rest to him. So think globally, act locally. It kind of relates to the, there was a phrase I shared a few, a month or so ago, 
that really had an impact and got my mind thinking, and that was do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. And so sometimes we think the problem is so big, I want everybody to know, and we get overwhelmed almost to the point of paralysis. Well, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. You have to start somewhere. Start small and do what you can control and stepping out in obedience and faith. And so he's not calling you to solve all that's wrong. Just be faithful and trusting in him to do what we can do and leaving the rest to him. And again, we will see God work in amazing ways. We'll start to see some of this worry and care that we have begin to lift because we truly believe, not just with what we say, but the way we act and think that God is in control and God's got this and he's going to work this out for his good. So Lord, show me what it is I can do today to take that faithful step of obedience. Now let me address this before we have a few questions for discussion here. A question that came in between last week and, and this week. And it's a hard question. And the question is something like this, and this is somewhat paraphrasing, but how do I reconcile the thought that my anxiety relates to, to what seems to be unjust suffering? So the anxiety that I'm dealing with seems to be related to unjust suffering. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to live by what the Bible says, to put the Lord first, to be kind to others, to advance the kingdom by actively sharing my faith, all those wonderful things. But things are just still so hard. And I find myself full of care and wondering, is God really for me in this? Because it seems like he might even be against me at times. And so that was a question that came in that I spent a little bit of time thinking about, praying about, looking at the word of God. So I wanted to talk about that. And I'm going to have you give an answer to respond, or an opportunity to respond to that question as well. But here is uh, an area I wanted to point you to. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I will say, before I read this, this is not easy. I've said before, there are certain graduate level passages in the Bible. Paul said, when Jesus said to Paul, my grace is efficient for thee. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Again, that's graduate-level Christianity to, by faith, truly proclaim that and live that out. But again, all of us, I would, would, I, I would say to the person in here, absolutely, God's grace is sufficient. Amen? And so Paul, we see how Paul chose to live that out and prove it. So here's a passage in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 19. The Bible says, Wherewith, or wherefore, let them that suffer... According to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And so the first thing I'll say when, when wherefore is there, it's just like therefore, we need to understand a little bit more of, because that's a, a, a topic that uh, ties back to what was previously, previously said, but wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. I am suffering according to the will of God. That's hard. Amen? Well, let's back up and look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, I love how he writes this. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know, sometimes we, this is, why is this happening? This is so odd. This is so strange. And Peter is saying here, don't think this is a strange thing. But rejoice. There it is again. Really? <laughs> you know, but rejoice. In the midst of this fiery trial, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Again, I would say, believer, do you believe that? Can you find joy? And blessing, happiness even. Verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Don't be surprised when we as believers suffer at the hand of others. This is not a strange or unusual thing. In fact, the Bible says here we're able to rejoice in suffering because we are sharing in Christ's suffering. In fact, we may rejoice because Christ has even considered us worthy to suffer in such a way. We can be happy. There's blessing to be realized when we are insulted and suffer for the name of Christ. We should not be suffering because of our sin, as it says here, a murderer, a thief, but rather because we are endeavoring to live a godly life for our Lord. And then finally, we see here that we are reminded that our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify our Creator, and we can do that even in the midst of suffering at the hand of of others, whether they're lost, and unfortunately sometimes even folks who are saved. So, as we shift to discussion, how would you counsel this person that asked the question this week? How do I reconcile not being overly anxious when it seems like I'm suffering unjustly? What would you tell them? Maybe in addition to what I share here. What insights do you have? What counsel would you offer? No, no, no avoiding that, right? Yeah, don't think it a strange thing when you suffer. <laughs> That's going to happen. What else would you say that would help this person? No. Yeah, capture on paper. It's a good idea. Because we can pray that back to the Lord and say, Lord, you see what, what I'm dealing with here. I offer back to you. Jim. easier way, right? (laughs) That's what we want. We want an easier way, but the reality is there is no easier way. That God is going to accomplish his purpose, and by the way, he'll be with us. He'll he'll make us have the ability to do these things, to be rejoiced, to rejoice, to be happy, to count it a blessing that I could suffer with Christ's sufferings, and that uh, I can glorify my creator by how I respond to these things. So, Anybody else want to weigh in on that? All right, another question. What are some of the most common idols that Christians fall victim to? What are common idols that Christians fall victim to that need to be removed out of our hearts? Ice cream. (laughs) David? Philosophies of man. Yeah, absolutely. Pride, selfishness, control, fear. 
Yeah, it's so subtle how these things slip in. And so the challenge is, if I'm behaving in a way the Lord has convicted me of, and I know it's not a proper way to behave or to respond to whatever it is I'm dealing with, use that as a diagnostic tool to say, is there something that's in my heart that just needs to be eliminated, needs to be gotten rid of? And so how can I begin to replace those thoughts and get the Lord back up on that place where he rightfully belongs so I'm only worshiping the one true and living God? And I'm not running to something else to find comfort or peace. Uh, how should our, well, let me move on. Um, if our enemy is the father of lies, and we touched on that, how can those lies be defeated? How can they be brought captive? What does that look like? How does it, what does it look like to defeat the enemy's lies and to bring them captive? How do we do that? Jim, word of God. Absolutely. Thy word is truth. And uh, that's how the Lord, when the Lord was tempted by the enemy, he responded with the word of God. And so when these lies come into our thoughts, and especially when you're full of care, the Lord's not going to take care of you now. You really messed up. He's targeting you for some sort of special punishment. Um, Where's your God now? Again, those are lies that need to be brought captive with truth. What does the truth of the word of God say? And then go find something to stand on and say, I choose to believe this. And then step out by faith. Again, what you can control, I choose to believe this, and I step out on that. And um, the devil is the father of lies. And we've already looked at being full of care is full of lies also. And so uh, bring them captive with truth. All right, 816. Time to pray, I guess. Anybody have anything else they want to add to this as we wrap it up? The Bible says that he is God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our tribulations. Amen. That we may be able to comfort others. If you think about uh, if we're going through this trial and we come through, how do we make it for somebody else? Help somebody else that's going through something like that. Yeah, how many times have we seen that even in our own church? Yeah, that's sometimes, that's the answer to the question of why, Lord, he's preparing you to help someone else with what you're going through. Amen. Sandy. Absolutely. I mean, thank you for your testimony, Sandy. Earlier, when I said when we start expressing gratitude or, or service to others, we turn that gaze from inward to outward. And I, that changes everything uh, because we start operating the way Christ was operating. Came to be, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many, to be others focused. And that's not a gimmick. Uh, again, it's, it's just operating the way the Lord created us to operate. And when we operate according to the design of our creator, it's amazing how things work. And so we can be going through the worst of trials, but yet God can give comfort and peace and um, know that he's in control through all of this. And so I guess I'll leave with these words and then we'll have our prayer time. Is just remember what you believe. You've heard me say that before. Remember what you believe. Do not forget your theology during times of difficulty and suffering and where you're full of care. There's a tendency to want to run from that 
because the enemy's there trying to encourage us to do that, but no, run to the Lord and remember what you believe and say, in the midst of this, Lord, I trust you. Even if I don't fully understand it, I'm going to trust you. And I'll keep my eyes on you, and I'll keep serving you, and I'll keep taking those small steps of obedience. Amen? Father, may you redeem these, these uh, principles, these truths, these applications in the lives of everyone here today. And may we share them with others. And it's, Father, again, thank you that uh, you have given us your word, and you've given us your spirit, and uh, you've given us Jesus. And so, Lord, help the power of the gospel 